Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends, offering perspectives of hope through Jesus Christ. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview. When I hosted this show in Hawaii, I'm joined with my co-host, Suzanne Maurer. Join us now. Open your heart to what God has to say to you. Lauren Green serves as Fox News Channel's chief religion correspondent. Her book, Lighthouse Faith, God as a Living Reality in a World Immersed in Fog, explores the heart of the Christian doctrine and a pathway of perceiving God as an interactive, hands-on presence, a caring and loving being. Dear friend, the care and love of God is for you. Even as you listen our, to our show today, we remind you the reason we have the Good Life Radio Show is to bring you closer and closer to Jesus Christ. There is always hope in Christ. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, no matter what it is, you know, Christ loves you so much. He died on the cross for your sins. He shed his blood on that cross to wash your sins away. He was buried, and three days later, he rose again from the grave. And dear one, today, the living Christ is calling you. Would you open your heart to Jesus? That is our prayer. That's our hope. A concert pianist with a degree in piano performance from the University of Minnesota, Lauren Green graduated from the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. Lauren became Miss Minnesota in 1984, and was third runner-up in the Miss America pageant in 1985. Lauren, welcome to our show. Uh, it's a great blessing to be here. Thank you so much. Danny, can I call you Danny or Pastor? Danny is Danny? Okay. perfect, yes. Lauren, so you grew up in Minnesota. What part and what was it like? Uh, you know, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is, um, you know, it's just the heart of the Midwest. And uh, I... Now I look at it as sort of this idyllic place to grow up, and not only where it was, but when it was. I grew up in a time when, you know, probably 90% of my classmates, maybe 95% of my classmates, maybe more than that, um, their parents, you know, they lived in two-parent households. Um, mm -hmm. Their mothers didn't work, and everybody's mom was at home cooking and cleaning or whatever. They were stay-at-home moms, and that's the way I grew up. And you know, I understand things are different now, but I, in Minnesota in that time, um, I just grew up in a different era where I had such incredible security and love and, um, um, and, and, and just this sense that I was always loved to take care of. Um, and, uh, and we weren't wealthy at all. Certainly, I probably lower middle class, I guess, in terms of income. My father never rose above middle, middle management where he worked. Never, he didn't have a college degree. So you see, I mean, it's, Money doesn't make the world, your world, better. It just, you know, sometimes gets complicated, but certainly um, it was just a wonderful place to grow up. Mm. Who influenced you 
most in your growing up years? Oh, I would say a lot of people, but you know, I really give credit to my great aunt Rita in the book um, because she taught us a game um, that I talked about in, called Bunkum. Mm-hmm. But she was such a wonderful woman of faith. Um, she didn't have children of her own, um, but she was a school teacher and she was a Sunday school teacher and she had great faith. And um, she um, she was the one who really helped my brother when he was my oldest brother, who was like 15 years older than me. He wound up in prison, and uh, she really believed in him. You know, she believed that you know God has a plan. You know, being in prison is not a life sentence, um, and because God can make all things new, God mm-hmm. can make all things new. Um, and she worked on him, and I'll tell you, it worked. Um, and uh, his story is amazing in itself. But he, he, I, 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 I. I don't think I ever appreciated my aunt when I when she was there, but now when I was younger, I should say. But now I look back and I'm thinking, what great devotion she had towards us! What, what, what incredible um, faith she had that she showed us. Um, and now that I look back on it, I look and say, wow, I'm so glad I knew this woman. I'm so glad that God put this woman in my life. Lauren, give us, well, give us a snapshot. I mean, take us there. You write about it in your book. What happened to your your brother? You know, my brother, you know, he's 15 years older than me. And uh, by the time I was born, he'd already been into, you know, um, alcohol, you know, and some drugs. And he went to jail. Mm-hmm. And he got out, you know, kind of the usual, you know, because you know, you've got two parents at home who love you and work steady and all that stuff. So you, you come from a good place, deliver and send you home. So he got involved in the same crowd and got into heroin, and alcohol, drugs, and went back to prison. Um, and then uh, third time, uh, same thing, but got into theft as well. Same, you know, just hanging around with the wrong people and uh, sent to prison. Yeah. And uh, parents said, nope, you're going to stay this time. Mm-hmm. No getting out, no bailing out, no nothing. You're going to, you are going to, uh, you're going to pay the price now. And my aunt wrote to him in prison after my parents had kind of washed their hands in a sense that because we've got three other kids at home, um, you know, we have to take care of them. Or four other kids at home, we have to take care of them. We can't just, you know, put all the focus on you. So my aunt began writing to him, sending him books about healing, about about positive, you know, kind of, you know, mindset. And one of the books she sent him was The uh, Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. And that started to turn his life around. I just started to turn things around. And at that point, all of the other things that she had been sending him started to make sense, the healing. And I really believe the power of the Holy Spirit just coming on him at that moment, just saying, your life is going to change. Because, you know, I talked about this in a, I talked about this in a speech last, a couple of days ago, and I said, you know, he'd been bowing down to drugs. He'd been bowing down to alcohol. He'd been bowing down to crime. Those things had become his master. But on that day, it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, you have a new master. Mm. And I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I will never abandon you to the grave. You know, and, I, and it just changed his life. And he felt free, even behind bars. And he got his GED in prison. Um, mm. when, when the prison offered two slots for um, a, a school release program at the St. Cloud State University, two slots. He got one of them. He had a degree in psychology and sociology. Um, he got married to a, a, a 
beautiful young woman. They've been married almost 50 years now. Um, he uh, has four kids and a lot of grandkids. Um, he he was on the, the state parole board. He became the head of the state parole board. He was pardoned by the governor. Um, he got a doctorate in education. And I tell the stories that here, you know, it, when he's 20 years old, he's a he's a number in prison. That's what he's known as, right? And now he's Dr. Green. Dr. Green. Wow. You see what I mean? This is the power that, that, that God can do with any life. I can make all things new. That's what his word says, and his word has power. His words have power. Lauren, how did you become a Christian? You know, a lot of people have, they, they have revelations, mm-hmm. and some people are just on a journey. I think I'm the journey kind. Um, I was born into a Christian household. I celebrated Christmas and Easter and went to church on Sundays, and I went, I had, um, went to Sunday school. All of those things were part of my life. Um, but I think for a lot of people, God is not a reality. It's sort of, he, he, God is sort of a concept. God is a sort of accessory to your life, you know, something you kind of consult um, when you're in trouble, right? But God is a living reality. It means you, you, you mold your life to fit the reality, the objective reality of God. And I think when I was about 18 or 19, I remember asking the question kind of in my group of you know, friends at school saying, you know, what is the question that answers every other question? It was like I was trying to hone in on the one thing I knew was at the, at, at the crux, at the, the core of everything. You see, I believed in God, but I didn't even associate that question with God. And that, that was very telling. But I, I really do believe that because I asked it earnestly and, and with a full heart, God said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the answer to that question. And um, it took many years. And I, this book really is the answer to the question. And the book is entitled Lighthouse Faith, God as a Living Reality in a World Immersed in Fog. You can find out more about the book. You can get the book at lighthousefaithbook.com. Again, lighthousefaithbook.com. When we come back from our break, or we'll talk about the book, Lighthouse Faith. I'm wondering why did Lauren Green choose that title? Uh, lighthouses have a great deal of significance in our society. Well, she explains some of that in, well, really in quite detail. At the same time, I, I think about Aunt Retha or the Aunt Rethas in our lives. Maybe. Maybe you have had an Aunt Aretha in your life who never gave up on you. She saw, she was a light that saw the light of God in you, even when your life was, well, at least at that time, maybe filled with darkness. But she saw light. Aunt Aretha. Or maybe today you are to be that Aunt Aretha to someone else who is in a very dark place. Well, today we have Lauren Green, the author of the book Lighthouse Faith. When we come back, we'll share more heart-to-heart with you. More from Lauren Green. Wandering the road of desperate life Aimlessly beneath the barren sky 
James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. I'm joined with my co-host, Suzanne Maurer, Please enjoy. Lauren, you mentioned in our last segment, you mentioned the game Bunkum. Yeah. Explain for us, uh, oh, what is Bunkum? First of all, you can, you can actually get the book on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com too. So, okay. So oh, make good. sure that that's an option for people if they want to get it. But, all right. Um, there is a, a great um, part of the book, and I realized how important it was. Um, I was trying to explain um, about my my idea about you know God as living reality and, and the sort of structure in the Ten Commandments, and I was trying to explain how God is hiding in plain sight. And mm. I, I told a story about my aunt Risa teaching my sister and I when we were little a game called Bunkum, and she would take a common object like a cone or a spoon or a fork or something common and hide it in a room, but in plain sight, like it could be on a lampshade, or it could be sticking up from a couch or something, but it had to be hiding in plain sight. So we would come back into the room and then search for the object. And then um, whichever one of us found it, whoever found it would just say, bunkum, and then sit down and let the other person try to figure out where it was. And it was so fun because you just laugh and laugh because one person sometimes just could never find this object. And it was right there. And I realized that, you know, perhaps that, that God was playing this cosmic game of Duncan with us, you know, that he was hiding in plain sight. That, you know, and, and what I also explain in the book is that once the object was found, the room began to revolve around where this object was. Everything was defined by its relationship to that object. And that's kind of how the search for God becomes. That, you know, first of all, you don't give up because you know it's there. And then when you find it, the whole room takes on a different um, a different hue because now it's defined by its relationship to the object. Mm. And that's the way God is. When you find God, everything begins to revolve around that relationship. Everything now is focused on God as a reality, and everything is, is defined by its relationship to God. 
Why did you choose lighthouse to illustrate faith? You know, lighthouses are incredibly powerful um, image bearers. Um, and, you know, this book has been, I've been working on this book for more than a decade. But the imagery of the lighthouse came in fairly late in the game, you know, after I'd really got the, you know, the thesis together. The lighthouse descended on me in a revelation, really, when I was going through some tough times. And a friend of mine had brought me to her summer house on Long Island. And as I began to sort of heal from, you know, what I was going through, I looked at this picture of a lighthouse, which was sitting on a table, and I looked at it constantly. But at that moment, I realized in that my healing moment that God had been with me the whole time. You know, that he had, he had not just protected me. He had not just, you know, shown me the way. He had wept with me. And that, to me, was just incredible power. But more than that, lighthouses, I think, are divine messengers. That they are a messenger of God's love and his law. Because love is, of course, you know, we see that in the hope that lighthouses bring. They're designed to save lives, give hope, give comfort, light the way and tell you to come home, this this what lighthouses do for you, give you this strength and comfort. But more than that, the lighthouse structure is very much like how the Ten Commandments are structured. With this beacon at the top that says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the other laws are defined by the relationship to that law. You can't break laws two through ten until you first break number one, right? If you commit adultery, it is because something else or someone else has become more desirable to you than God. If you steal, it's because something has become worth more to you than God. If you kill, it means your judgment has now surpassed God's judgment. You see, so all the laws are defined by the relationship first to the first commandment and second by the relationship to everything else. And it seemed to me, as I was going through looking at you know, as in music, it seemed to me that that was a structure. That was a sort of a closed system where um, you could actually transfer this to um, a physical structure, not just a spiritual structure. Um, and I don't say this in the book, but I've been said it. You know, we all have taken science and advanced science or physics, and we all learned Einstein's theory of relativity, which is equals mc squared. What that means is energy equals mass times speed of light squared. It means something we can't see, energy, is equal to something we can see, which is mass, but times speed of light. You see, light is the component in there. So if something you can't see is equal to something you can see in Einstein's theory of relativity, is it too much a leap of faith to think that the structure of the lighthouse, the structure, excuse me, the structure of the Ten Commandments has a physical um, reality as well. Mm. You talked about the closed system. You mentioned that. You mentioned it relating to music. Mm -hmm. Let's go further. Explain what you mean by in relation to music and, say, biology. Well, you know, let's just, let's, I mean, this is how um, this sort of physical revelation kind of hit me. Um, because 
um, I'd sort of understood this structure of the Ten Commandments through a sermon that I'd heard years ago. And I was in Ethiopia at the time and doing a harmonic analysis of the Hallelujah Chorus, which I was going to prepare for um, a presentation that I was going to give to church in Atlanta when I came back to Ethiopia. And I was sitting there in my hotel room looking at the structure and writing down the, the chords and you know, the harmonies and all that, where it was going, where it was coming from. And it, it hit me like a ton of bricks, like a revelation that here was in musical form this structure of the lighthouse, the structure of the Ten Commandments. Here it was. That scales are built much the same way. There's a seminal point, which is the first note of the scale, and every one of the keys in the scale is defined by its relationship to that first note, and second by its relationship to everything else. Right? The notes in the scale are defined by their distance from uh, the interval of to the first note. And that, to me, was like a revelation because here was something that was based on something that man didn't create. It's the vibratory nature of, of music and the overtone series and all of that. That's how we built our harmony. So we have not created the harmony that we hear. It is simply in its physical nature. And that, to me, was an incredible revelation. How has, or what difference what difference has your relationship with Jesus made in your life? Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, was, I was speaking on Friday, and I, I said, you know, I was talking about music and the power of music and how, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach, one of the greatest composers that ever lived, uh, wrote in the end of pretty much everything he wrote, uh, Soli Deo Gloria, which is to God alone be glory. Because he felt that music... Music's only purpose was to glorify God, and it certainly is a glorifying tool. Um, and I started talking about how even popular music, um, sometimes I think if it's a love song, it's almost like the soul crying out for the living God, you know, because no no human being can live up to the standards of a lot of the love songs, you know, perfectness that is in, is in the human being, that they talk about in, in the human being. And so I brought up James Taylor's um, song, How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. I said, I can't, I can't hear that song without singing it to Jesus. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what it feels like. How sweet it is to be loved by you. You know? And just think of the words. And that's how I explained the relationship with Jesus. I needed, some, I needed the shelter of someone's arms. And there you were. I needed someone to understand my ups and downs, and there you were, with sweet love and devotion, deeply touching my emotions. I want to stop and thank Jesus. How sweet it is. I see that. I know that I'm, you know, probably James Taylor is not a Christian, and maybe he doesn't like me taking his song and making it about Jesus, but it's a perfect love song, and it's really perfectly explain this heartfelt longing for a transcendent love that surpasses all understanding. How sweet it is to be loved by Because I am loved, not because I'm lovable, because God is love. I'm a sinner saved by grace. 
You know, if I didn't have Jesus, I deserve death. I deserve, I deserve, you know, to be thrown off a cliff. But because I have Jesus, because he has paid the penalty, that he has paid the penalty of God's own wrath, I don't have How sweet it is to be loved by him. Dear friend, as you listen to Lauren Green share out of her heart, I mean, just resonating in instinctively about the love of God. Perhaps there is a hunger in your heart to know the love of God, to feel the love, to, to even get a taste of what Lauren is expressing. Experientially, you want that. Well, God is not withholding from you, unwilling to love his love is for you. And you know what? I, I think that's why, Suzanne, I think that's why we're here. Even today. Mm-hmm. You think, well, why am I listening to Lauren Green <laughs> on this day at this moment? Well, we believe that God has set this all up in his divine purpose. In fact, Lauren writes about the the unmovable mover or the first cause. She writes even about those things in the book. The book, her book, Lighthouse Faith, uh, has many dimensions to it that will touch you in different ways, different places, at different times in your life. And it will be an incredible tool to share with someone else, even someone you may be praying for or trying to reach with the love of Jesus. And maybe today you might not even have a personal relationship with God, but your your ears have been have uh, perked up, your heart is quickened, and you say, I want to know more. Well, go to lighthousefaith.com. Go to Amazon.com. Go to BarnesandNoble.com. You can get the book there. Lauren Green, sharing heart to hate. You know what? There's, there's nothing quite like just having a conversation, sharing on these very deep levels. In some ways, there's an intellectual component too. But it's not only winning the mind. It's winning the heart. Not just winning the heart, but the mind. More from Lauren Green when we come back. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life Aimlessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me I'll lead you home On behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. 
Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. I'm joined with my co-host, Suzanne Maurer. Please enjoy. You're listening to the Good Life Radio Show. Lauren Green was a Templeton Cambridge fellow studying areas of science and religion at the University of Cambridge as a journalist. The Good Life Radio Show here. Danny Yamashiro, Suzanne Maurer, and Lauren Green with us today. You can find out more about her book, Lighthouse Faith, at lighthousefaithbook.com. You can get it at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Suzanne, you you were... Before our break, you were just uh, glowing uh, with praise of what we were discussing. Well, Lauren, we're just sitting here. Our heads are just bobbing up and down in agreement (laughs) with everything you're saying. But I hope our listeners are hearing how you're beautifully and lovingly just oozing the love of Jesus in a personal relationship with Christ, which is exactly what we want our listeners to have and to receive. It's, It's lovely. Lauren, you you mentioned that uh, sorrow uh, struck you as you reflected on the light that's not being that's not looked to as a beacon for help. the 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 light is there, but uh, something struck you for those that weren't looking to the light. Describe more about that. One of the things about lighthouses um, that are important to understand in a faith perspective is that they are outside of us, you know, and that we have to look up to the light. We can't look inward to the light, although we have a light within us, but it is, it's like a pilot light that really only ignites when we look to, our, look to the light, you know. Um, it only ignites in a flame when we look to the proper light. One of the things that is very, one of the science aspects of this book really, really actually floored me. It was something that uh, Dr. John Lennox opened up to me um, about human beings. And this is one of those aha moments that is so simple and yet um, became so profound. He said, you know, there are many bioluminescent animals in the world um, that can, that have their own light. They can see in the darkness. You know, you've got owls and cats and um, owls and, you know, bats and those sort of things that they have. You know, bats have the sort of sonar going for them, even though they're blind, but but, but uh, some animals are bioluminescent. They have, carry their own light or they see in the dark. But us, our, our, us human beings that have, that are supposedly the highest of the food chain and we have, we are made in the image of God. We have, you know, trillions of connections connections in our, um, in our minds and we make instant decisions about various things, we do not possess our own light. We cannot see in darkness. And that's a physical reality. And Dr. John Lennox says, isn't that odd that we would be made that way? God certainly could have made us being able to be our own light. But he didn't make us, make us that way. And I think that's on purpose so that we would always look to him for our light. Hmm. And I, I thought that was incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. So, so you write, so perhaps all along the type of light God introduced was the kind of light you can see. Well, one of the, the things, right, you know, I, I split the book into three component parts. And the reason I did this, you know, when the revelation about this sort of physical structure 
in the world of the Ten Commandments, you know, how it kind of, there was a structure that could be sort of a template for law, all law. Mm-hmm. And I saw it in music. I started to see it in many, many other kinds of disciplines. I saw it in biology, you know, with the idea of the, of the, the nucleus of a cell. Um, I saw it in architecture. I saw it in a lot of different uh, disciplines, language. And I thought, my goodness, this book could be like, you know, 3,000 pages long. And I said, I really don't have to make it that long. It doesn't have to be all of these different disciplines, it only has to fit into three categories. Because I said, if this really is true, if God created the world, then I only have to break it down into three component parts, because that's the Trinity. Mm. Could I break the world down into three component parts with this law operating as sort of a template? And I found that I could, uh, in terms of putting it into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I found that I could split it into three categories of the covenant, the sacrifice, the glory, that these would be um, ways, these are these would explain the, the beings of the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity, rather, in their function, not in their names. So the Father is the covenant. It means the law, natural laws, that are hard and true, that you cannot break. Things like gravity, electromagnetic forces, um, the natural laws that we call natural laws. These are covenants. Because if, if God is, you know, a loving God, the laws that he created are really covenants. And I thought that perhaps I'd say that the the um the the opening chapter of Genesis when it talks about creation, um, it's not is really more of a covenant of contract than than anything. Um and when he says let there be light. That is interesting, and many scholars have brought this out, that the word, when he says, let there be light, he does not create, the sun and the moon are actually created on day three or day four. So they're saying, you know, what does this mean? He says, let there be light. So I thought, perhaps, and I say this in the book, that I think it's not the kind of light you could see or the kind of light you could know. Mm. It's creating order. Order out of his, based on his image of how he operates. Let there be light. Let there be order. Let there be... And light is not just something you can see, but something you can know. And I believe that when he says, let there be light, he's creating the kind of light you can know. Someone may be wondering, maybe even with a tinge, maybe more than a tinge of anger, perhaps even rage, when we talk about order and God creating with order, yet someone sees so much disorder, so much dysfunction in this world, and they would ask, how could a loving God allow pain and suffering? What would you say, Lauren? Oh, my goodness. This is, this is the age-old question. And not only that, it is what drives people from belief in God, because they can't believe that a loving God would allow kind of horrific things in this world that we see. Um, and the problem is, is that, first of all, the world is broken. And that's the lesson, the wisdom from the Garden of Eden. The world is broken. And all of the brokenness is, you know, entered into this world at that point. Uh, what, do you, what do you get when people don't look to God for their hope? They don't look to God for their guidance. Um, uh, when they don't look to God um, for a myriad of other things. You get the world we have today. So what you have is a world where people um, have free will, 
and they can, um, and what happens is they put themselves in the place of God. Now, someone can actually argue that, well, you know, what about something like ISIS? You know, and that's a whole other discussion because they obviously do not believe in the God of the Bible. Tell us a story about the, the father, uh, the father's toy for his son, and, uh, and and what happened in that story that you tell uh, about, well, was, about know, that toy. The, you know, this is a, this is what I was trying to. This isn't actually a story that I created in order to explain very simply what happened to the world. What happened to the world? So there is a very very loving father, and he gives his son. Very, very special gift. A very special gift. And he says, he, he tells him um, how this gift works. But be very careful, you know, don't treat it any other way because it's very, very specific. You have to treat it this way. And so he loves his father. He loves the gift. But then, you know, one of his smarmy friends comes around and he says, well, I have a gift just like that and I can do this with it. And the little boy says, no, 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 no. My dad said, you know, you can't do that with that. You can only do this. He says, no, no, no. You can do this with it because I have a gift just like it. So obviously you know what happens. The boy breaks the gift. And it's almost um, um, terrible because it will take so long to fix. The father says that he's going to fix it, but it's going to take time but it's going to be broken until I can fix it. Mm. And so what he did, and that's the story of the Garden of Eden, that it was a gift, but it was broken, and that God repaired it, but he had to repair it with his own flesh and blood. And now we are living in the age, in the overlap age, where... We are living in the time where we are saved, but we are still living in a broken world. You see, we're living in an overlap. And that's why we see the pain and suffering we see. Um, that's why we see the incredible terror that we see. But we also see beauty. There are beautiful things happening in the world as well. Um, you know, the gospel is a very, very powerful tool. But everywhere I look, I see um, a world, a secular world, trying to tear it apart, trying to tear it apart with laws, trying to tear it apart with, you know, pencil lifestyles, um, trying to tear apart with, you know, the sort of uh, secular humanistic, humanistic um, um, you know, understanding. And, you know, and I, I say this often enough, I say this quite often, that the default religion of the public square is, secular humanism. Nobody's really um, admitted it, but it's true. And if you look at the laws, I mean, it really is the default religion is secular humanism because nobody, there's no neutral position when it comes to religion. There's no neutral position. So if you're not on God's side, you're on the side of something else. That's, there's no neutral position. You may be wrestling with your position today. Are you on God's side or you are on, and the words of Lauren Green, are you with something else? Now, what is that something else well, that can be defined, that can be conceptualized by you? Uh, but God 
as a side. And there's a clarity, there's a structure, there's an order, as Lauren has so, uh, so beautifully explained. You know what's really, I think one of the things that's very important for us all to understand is that God can be known. Um, I, I had a woman I was talking to once, and I asked, did God exist? And she said, um, she said, well, I hope so. You know, but, and I thought, well, why don't you try to find out? You know, why wouldn't you seek out the people that are writing about God, uh, not, maybe, not, maybe read a book, read the Bible? And I think this is where the world immersed in fog comes in, because we almost prefer to live in fog. Um, because if we actually do the work and look for God, we I think a lot of us are afraid what we might find. Because we don't want to give up control of our own lives. If we actually find proof of, of any semblance of proof of the living God, and I'm not talking about empirical proof, but when you actually have to make that leap of faith, and it seems like there's a better chance that God exists and doesn't exist, I think that's the problem. I think a lot of us fear that, and fear that I'm going to have to give up control of my life. I'm not going to be in control anymore, because that's the basis of sin. It's putting yourself in the place of God. Like, I decide what's right and wrong for myself. And that's basically what sin is. It's not this, you know, you know, you know, psycho kind of killer kind of, kind of thing, and, you know, nobody sees the sin that they do. And that's the most dangerous kind of sin, because it really draws you down this dark hallway until you can't see any kind of light, until you start talking in this sort of, you know, you know, the, the pityness of, like, why is my life like this? Why can't I get out of it? Because you don't see the light. And, you don't see God working in your life. Lauren, one of the things I love about you putting the emphasis on the first commandment is what so many people miss because they don't stop to think that we aren't capable of loving the Lord our God with all our might and so they think, well, I didn't break the Ten Commandments. I've right. never robbed a bank. I've right. never killed anybody. And they miss it from the get-go. And I so value your bringing that out and the emphasis you put on it. Well, one of the things that happens is that we also fail, even though we haven't robbed a bank, you know, um, the seeds of theft are in us. Amen. You know, even if we haven't committed adultery, the seeds of adultery are there. And when Jesus talked about, even if I have, you know, lustfully looked at a woman, I've committed adultery in my heart. You know, uh, 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 Jimmy, um, uh, Jimmy Carter got his, they made jokes about him when he's talking about, when he talked about that, that if I've looked lustfully at a woman, I've committed adultery in my heart. And the world laughed at him, made jokes about him. But that's so true. Mm-hmm. The seeds of these kinds of, of, of sins are within us, are possibilities. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a, they don't do this. Well, don't do them because these are, you know, these are not good things because you have a possibility of doing it. But if you put God first, if God is such a reality to you that, that his love, his mercy, his, what he's done for you is so important that you didn't, you wouldn't want to break his heart, you know, mm-hmm. that's the most important thing. You would, it's not, you, it's not just violating God's laws, it's breaking his heart. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to say, God loves me. 
and when I when I when I sin, it hurts him. Mm-hmm. You know, dear friend, today maybe as you listen, uh, something is triggered in your own heart. Perhaps you're going through a rough moment, maybe a difficult time, and the timeliness of hearing Lauren Green share her her heart and how the intricacies of life. For her, at least at this season, there's a lot of clarity. Now she's able to convey that clarity through her new book, a Lighthouse Faith. When we come back, a question for her about, and then we'll get a little personal here, about uh, struggles, difficulties, perhaps even in her own life. I think you'll be able to relate with uh, what she shares, because isn't it so that we all share with uh, struggles? difficulties, some we might not talk about, some we might not want to share, some we may feel ashamed about, but we have them. I have them. Do you? Well, we all do. When we come back, a little from Lauren Green and how the Lord has helped her work through some of her difficulties. I think it'll help you too. Stay with us. Okay, don't leave now. We'll be right back. This is Danny Yamashiro. Don Pick Benson wrote, When I was growing up, my dad was a farmer, not a Christian. He had little interest in faith, having been told by his father that the Bible was a fairy tale. But then a local pastor took an interest in my dad, asking if he could help plow the fields on the weekend. That one act of service spoke louder than words ever could to my dad. By his actions, the pastor made my dad feel loved, and that did more than any preaching could have. He didn't need convincing about the theological correctness of the Bible. He needed to feel God's love for him. This pastor met that need in a practical way, and that's evangelism. For more inspiration on evangelism, go to drdanny.live. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. I'm joined with my co-host, Suzanne Maurer. Please enjoy. Find out more about Lauren's book, Lighthouse Faith, at lighthousefaithbook.com. Get it at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Lauren, how has the Lord helped you through difficult times? You know, one of the things that um, I think all of us have to realize is that when we're in difficult times, the Lord is there. But he's not going to relieve the pressure immediately. You know what I mean? He's going to let you go through the time because we won't, our hearts won't change unless we have to overcome something. You know? Let's just say 
if we're prideful about, let's just say, our looks or um, prideful about, you know, our work or prideful about anything, a lot of times God will let us go through troubles in that area just so we could sort of take, take us down a few notches. You know, I'm not saying that every time we have difficulty, it's God trying to discipline you, God, God trying to, you know, work out the kinks of your personality. Um, it could be one of the benefits, but it may not be the reason behind it. I don't know, because I don't profess to know why God does everything he does, why he allows certain things to happen. But I do know that um, if you're going through difficult times, it doesn't mean that God does not love us. That's the first thing. Remember that. God, it's not that God does not love you. But, you know, when I've gone through a difficult time, it's because, you know, something else was my fundamental trust. When I've, when I've really gotten into the depth of deep depression about something, it's a big sign that something else beside God is your fundamental trust. Right? You can believe in God. I can believe in um, all that's good. But something else really is operating as the thing that I go to when I'm, you know, that gives me an identity, that gives me a reason for living. Um, and a, especially in a field like, you know, TV news, where you, your, your ego can get assaulted all the time. And so if you learn to be content in what you have, the the storms really won't affect you as much. But it takes time to kind of get through those. It takes time to kind of accept that it's okay if, you know, I don't have a prime time show. It's okay if I'm not on the air every day. It's okay if I don't make, you know, $7 million a year. I mean, you know what I mean? These In this industry, it's a bubble that you can kind of get used to. And so one of the things that helped, you know, helped me is, one, I, I began... As I walked to work every day, I would listen to a sermon every day, and I would just listen to sermons all the time. And that that became my my reality. It was God's word became my reality. God's word became my fundamental trust, and not what I was hearing in the day to day. That didn't affect me because God had become my fundamental trust. So I think hard, you know, I think God allows us to go through things in order to help us turn towards him. It's called, it's called, um, there's a, there's a uh, tank tactic in, in warfare. And tanks are very big, bulky machinery that can really go forward and trample a lot of stuff. And there's something to be feared, right? But the tank warfare is that if you build a trench hide it behind a hedge, um, the tank will just go down into it and can't get itself out, right? So if you see the trench, then you know that you have to go around it. You have to go, you know, you, you, you direct the tank in another direction. And the tactic is, you know, show them the trench so that you force the tank to go to another direction where you really do want it to go. And this is kind of how I see God sort of working in your life. It's like he's going to cut off a certain path for you so that you are forced to go in another direction that he really wants you to go in. And that was the better direction. Obviously, in a warfare, 
it's not the best direction because the enemy wants to get you. But when, when it, God is directing you in that way, because he has a better plan. The Lord today may be redirecting you, even as, even as he redirects us in, in our lives, Lauren, Suzanne, myself. Lauren, as we close today, someone today in that difficult moment, would you say a prayer? We've got about a minute left. Say Absolutely. a prayer for that dear listener. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open up the hearts of the people that are listening. And I pray for the person who's just clinging and reaching out to you to show them the way. To show them how to get out of this difficult. To show them how to make it through this pain. To show them how to make it through the night in their tears and their sorrow. Show them how to get through to the next month of paying a rent or paying a car payment or school loan or whatever it is, dear Lord. I want you to give that person comfort, strength, and the knowledge of what steps to take. Give them wisdom. Give them understanding. And help them make every thought captive to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help them make every moment in their life, every difficulty, help them say these words, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about everything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Amen. Amen. Insights from Lauren Green, LighthouseFaithBook.com. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Christ with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, hey, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major platforms. Isaiah 24, verse 15, Therefore glorify the Lord in the dawning light, the name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Lauren Green, LighthouseFaithBook.com. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember... The Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.